0: How did patients fare in the Gale extension study which assessed the safety and efficacy of pegcetacoplan for GA.
1: I'm Scott Wanus here with Greg Notstein, and this is New Retina Radio from Retina Today and Brimark Communications. Dr. Nathan Steinley shares the results of the first 6 months of Gale in which patients who received treatment for 24 months in Derby and Oaks continued with therapy and in which patients who had received sham injections for 24 months were switched over to treatment.
0: And Dr. Paul Hahn joined us in our mobile studio in Seattle. He shared data from a matching adjusted indirect comparison of Peg and Avacyncaptad Pegel. What did he and his team find? Stick here to find out.
1: cetocoplan was the first treatment approved for geographic atrophy in the United States. The Phase 3 Oaks and Derby data showed us that Pegseticoplan therapy was most distinct from sham therapy during months 18 to 24. Did the trends
0: seen after months 18 to 24 continue with further treatment? Dr. Nathan Steinle has the answers. Dr. Stinely practices at California Retina Consultants and Retina Consultants of America in Santa Barbara, California. Dr. Steinley, welcome back to New Retina Radio. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. We've spoken about Derby and Oaks on this podcast plenty of times, so no need to go too deep into the design here, but give us a quick refresher and then tell us about the Gale study.
2: Absolutely. So, Oaks and Derby were the phase 3 trials for Pegcetacoplan. That allowed it to be registered in February of 2023 as the first on label treatment for geographic atrophy. And these were divided into monthly, every other month, and sham doses and followed out to two years. At that two year mark, patients think can enroll over into a long term extension trial that's called GALE, another horse term, G A L E GALE. GAL. And so, what this is, is a three year. Uh, observation study where we are actually going to see all patients receive active treatment. So those patients that were receiving monthly therapy in Oaks and Derby continue on monthly therapy. Those receiving EOM or every month therapy in Oaks and Derby continue that treatment in the Gale extension trial. However, the more interesting part is those patients that got sham monthly or sham EOM in Oaks and Derby now are getting active treatment at that same regimen going forward for Gale. And then GALE will be a three-year extension trial, and we presented recently the 30-month data cut. So we have now an extra six months of data on these patients. And overall, it's really interesting. We had a very large database for Oaks and Derby, and 83% of patients, which is about 800 patients, rolled over into this long-term extension trial. So we're going to have a a really good snapshot at how pegcetocopin works over time. Right now we have a 30-month data cut, and at the end of the GALE trial, we'll have a five-year data cut on these patients. So you just talked about how many
0: patients actually stuck around and enrolled in this extension study. About how many
2: injections were given? Great question. So at the 30-month mark, we had 15,000 injections now of pegcetacoplan, and as GALE now continues to move forward, um, it's pretty impressive. We now overall in the entire clinical. Program between Philly, Oaks, Derby, and Gale. We have twenty three thousand injections of pegseditoplen. It's a molecule we've been working with for many years since about two thousand eighteen, and it's exciting now to have you know these almost eight hundred patients now rolling forward into Gale to give us even more data going forward.
0: Okay, let's start with the continuous treatment group. What did you find after thirty months
2: of pegseditoplen therapy? Really good question. So you can kind of divide this into two two categories: those patients that had treatment in Oaks and Derby for two years, how did they do going forward? And the answer is they continue to do better than those patients would have done without treatment. And what I mean by that is there's more differentiation over time. So as pegs that seems to work more and more and more over time. So if you look at that final six-month data cut, now from month 24 to 30, there's a further reduction in GA progression, both in monthly and ever-a-month dosing. And what's more interesting now is that we finally now have crossover patients. So we have patients that had two years of close observation in the clinical trials at Oaks and Derby, where they're getting sham injections, and now they're rolling over to active treatment into Gale. And so we finally can say, you know, what other signals do we have that this molecule really works for GA? Well, this is a great signal because we have crossover patients. And so in those patients that receive either monthly or every month dosing, now, in the first six months of this extension trial, Gale, we did see a reduction in GA progression in those patients. And it was on the exact same order, about 15% in the first six months. It was on the exact same order as these patients had a baseline across Oaks and Derby for the first six months of Oaks and Derby. So it seems to be very consistent. You also looked at patients
0: with only non-subphovial lesions who received continuous treatment. What
2: did they show? Yeah, really great question. So if we break it down into extrafoveal lesions, and the criteria for an extra foveal lesion was very, very broad. It was any lesion that did not involve the fault fo- and not involve the foveal center. So again, foveal is any lesion that did not involve the foveal center. These patients did exceptionally well. So now at the 30-month mark, we had a 45% reduction in GA progression and a 33 percent uh, reduction in GA progression in monthly and EOM dosing at that 30-month mark. So these patients with the extra baseline lesions seem to respond best to pegsidocoplin.
1: Safety is one of the biggest questions in GA therapy at the moment. So let's focus there for now. We'll start with new onset exudative AMD. What did your team observe in the Gale study?
2: That's a really great question. So what we saw in Philly, which is the phase two trials, was a little bit of a surprise to us was this dose-dependent conversion from dry to wet AMD. And so when we looked at the phase three trials, Oaks and Derby, we again saw this dose-dependent conversion to wet AMD. And we see that again in Gale. So as patients had more therapy, whether it be monthly or EOM therapy, they had an increased rate of conversion to wet AMD. And those patients then that now have... um, uh, crossover are converting at a, a kind of the same rate uh, to wet AMD, so it seems to be pretty consistent across the board.
1: And then, what about endophthalmitis and intraocular inflammation events?
2: In Gale, the first six months of Gale, there was not a single episode of a infectious endophthalmitis. So now the overall rate across the study platform is one in three thousand seven hundred injections for endophthalmitis, and and that's great news because when we're talking about complement inhibition here, we're talking about you know modulating the immune system, and so we were a little bit worried that we would see an increased rate. Of when we started these trials, because we are, you know, we're suppressing the immune system at baseline, and we're just not seeing that in the trial. So that's really good news. And your second question about the IOIs or intraocular inflammation, the overall rate was uh, 0.26%, uh, which is about one in 400 injections for IOIs. And most of these are, are non-serious and, and just a few serious uh, IOIs.
1: Now that said, there were some real-world reports of IOI that included retinal vasculitis. These were pretty serious. They were shared this year at the ASRS annual meeting. You commented on them in your presentation. Can you remind us what you said?
2: Yeah, great question, Scott. So what got a lot of press was the um, the reports of vasculitis in the real-world use. And you know, just to kind of give a baseline to this, we now have twenty-three thousand injections in the trials across Oaks Derby. Uh, Philly and Gale, and we just haven't seen any, any occlusive vasculitis or vasculitis in these trials. And any of the patients that had an IOI or inflammation event in uh, these trials, we went back and looked at, say, Hey, maybe, maybe we missed the vasculitis and, and we just didn't. And then we looked at all these patients, made sure they had FAs that had the serious IOIs and even had expert, you know, external people look at these images UVI specialists, retina specialists, and they, they agreed there was no signs of vasculitis. So we just haven't seen that in the trials. But then when you, you know, release a drug into the real world, that denominator gets bigger. And so, you know, it, they've had 68,000 vials uh, shipped in the United States since February. And they think around 62,000, those um, 90% of those actually been used in eyes in the United States now. And so we're I reported on in Seattle was seven cases of vasculitis and occlusive vasculitis that have been uh, reported to uh, the sponsor company. And when we look at those, uh, we see that uh, three of those have have now resolved, um, and four of those are, are indeed um, serious events. We think the overall incidence of this rare event is on the order of one in 10,000 um, injections uh, to date, about 0.01%.
0: All right, now let's head back to the Gale study here. Can you give us a you know a nice wrap-up and in, in summary uh, to what you presented?
2: Yeah, the take-home message is this drug works. There are multiple different data points that we can look at to look at this. Number one, we finally have crossover patients, those patients that had two years of you know sham therapy in Oaks and Derby that now have active treatment in Gale, and we see that reduction in GA progression in those first six months at Gale. Number two is that we have continued. Um, uh, differentiation of those patients who do receive active treatment over time, so this drug works more the longer you give it, which makes sense because you're kind of slowing down the aging process here. And so, in the final six months here, from 24 to 30, we showed in Gale, we see that further reduction both in in sub-fovial and especially in extrafovial lesions uh, across the use for pegcetacoplan.
0: Dr. Steinle, thank you so much for coming back on the show and sharing your
2: research with us. What an honor. Thank you for having me.
1: Hi, listeners. This is Scott. A quick production note. Greg and I recorded this conversation with Paul Hahn at ASRS in Seattle. That was before the approval of pegol by the FDA. hear us referred to a pending or a forthcoming approval. Well, in the real world it's happened, but during the interview it hadn't happened yet. So keep that in mind while listening. Enjoy! What an unusual but exciting time to be a retina specialist. A disease, GA, for which we have had no approved agent has finally seen a therapy cleared by the US FDA, and a second drug may be approved within months. Both of those drugs went through vigorous pivotal studies data from which were submitted in their approval filings with regulatory bodies. The studies, of course, did
0: not compare themselves to one another, and no head-to-head study exists or is even recruiting. But is there something in the pivotal study data we can glean about the relative efficacy of these drugs? Dr. Paul Hahn thinks there might be. He's with us today in our studio here in
1: Seattle during ASRS 2023. Dr. Hahn practices with NJ Retina in Teaneck, New Jersey. Dr. Hahn, welcome to New Retina Radio.
3: Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here.
1: Pegcetacoplan and Pegel are complement inhibitors delivered via intravitreal injection. The former is approved for GA, while the latter is awaiting word from the FDA. Those are the similarities. Tell us about
3: some of the important differences between these two therapies. Yeah, so pegacetocopelan and Pegol are both complement inhibitors, as you mentioned. Now, pegacetocopelan targets a little bit further upstream, uh, targeting C3 and C3b, whereas ephacincaptopelan targets a little bit further downstream towards something called C5. These are both different elements of the complement cascade. Um, their trial designs were different as well. Pegsy was studied in two parallel phase 3 trials called Derby and Oaks, including a broad range of patients including both non subfovial as well as subfovial lesions and looking at monthly as well as every other month dosing. In contrast, Avacyn-Captid-Pegel was studied in only a single phase 3 or true phase 3 clinical trial called Gather 2 as a Gather 1 study was a phase 2-3 study. This single phase 3 study, the Gather 2 study, looked only at non-subfoveal lesions and looked only at monthly dosing.
1: And the time endpoints for both of those studies were different, correct? In Derby Oaks, it was a longer study than Gather 2?
3: Their primary endpoints were at a year, but Derby and Oaks did have does have data out to two years.
1: Okay, so Gather 2 only looked at patients with non-subfoveal GA lesions, whereas Derby and Oaks each looked at patients with both non-subfoveal and subfoveal lesions what happened if we crunched the numbers combined the data from derby and oaks and looked at only non-subfoveal patients what were the findings yeah
3: so that was a pre-specified endpoint in the clinical trials and if we look at derby and oaks combined we saw a 26% reduction in the monthly arm with pegcetacoplan and a 23% reduction in the every other month arm and both of these were statistically significant in Gather 2, we saw a 17% reduction with monthly Avicencapted Pegol. So, just looking at non subfovial patients gives us some
0: type of comparison. But you and your colleagues performed an anchored matching adjusted indirect comparison. Tell us more about that type of analysis.
3: Uh, these MAICs are, are somewhat new to us, but they are a well validated uh, approach, both in ophthalmology as well as in other uh, fields. These MAICs are often sometimes required by regulatory agencies for approval as well. What these MAICs do is allow us to compare different trials uh, in the absence of a head-to-head comparison. Uh, The approach for this MAIC is first based on matching patient populations between two different trials. So in two different trials with different inclusion and exclusion criteria, you would apply the more restrictive inclusion and exclusion criteria to the less restrictive trial. In the case of Derbian Oaks versus Gather 2, as we've talked about, Gather 2 had more restrictive criteria. They only looked at patients with non subfoveal GA, and they only looked at patients with um, uh, uh, they excluded patients with fellow ICNV and included patients only with a certain range of visual acuities. In contrast to Derbian Oaks, which looked at both non subfoveal and foveal GA, um, uh, did not exclude patients with extra with uh, fellow ICNV, et cetera. And so what we did was we took the patients at Derby and Oaks from an individual patient level and filtered out only those who had the same exclusion and exclusion criteria as gather two. So only the non-subfovial patients, only those without fellow ICNV, et cetera. Once you have this matched population, the next step is to uh, try to balance those two populations among different pre-specified criteria. So you perform inverse propensity score weighting to create similar populations in terms of things like vision. uh, lesion size, multifocality, uh, bilaterality, et cetera, to create not just a matched population, but also a balanced population.
0: That is a lot of filtering, but we started with big populations in both studies. What types of populations did you end up with in Derby and Oaks after applying the Gathered 2
3: inclusion-exclusion criteria? So you're absolutely right. When you apply all that filtering, you're going to reduce the number of patients that you have in our study, in the PEG Cetocoplin monthly arm, we ended up with 61 treated patients in the Oaks trial and 49 patients in the Derby trial, with a sham arm of 42 in the Oaks trial and 53 in the Derby trial. Uh, for the PEG Cetocoplin every other month assessment, we had 54 patients in Oaks treated uh, with PEG Cetocoplin and 42 treated with sham. And in Derby, we had 55 patients treated with PEG Cetocoplin and 53 with sham.
1: You and your team looked at each pegcetocopeland study versus gathered two, and then you did a full meta-analysis. What was the outcome you used?
3: Our outcome was GA lesion area change in square millimeters uh, from baseline to month 12 between pegcetocopeland monthly versus capted Pegal monthly and uh, pegcetocopeland every other month versus avacyncaptid Pegal monthly.
1: All right, that is a lot. So let's tackle the monthly comparisons first. We could get deep into the weeds here, but we're going to keep a top line. What did you find when comparing monthly Pegseta Coplan with monthly Avis and Capted Peggle?
3: Yeah, that monthly comparison is probably the most apples-to-apples comparison, And in comparing these, we looked at differences between different trials. We compared Oaks versus Gather two, we compared Derby versus Gather 2, and we compared combination of Oaks and Derby versus Gather 2. In comparing Oaks versus Gather 2, we found a 37% greater reduction with peg to coplan monthly compared to Avicen captid pegol monthly, and that difference was statistically significant. When we compared Derby versus Gather 2, we found a 12% greater reduction with peg to coplan compared to avicen captid pegol but this difference was not found to be statistically significant. But when we combined Oaks and Derby and did a meta-analysis comparing Oaks and Derby combined versus the results in Gather 2, uh, we found a 30% greater reduction favoring Pegsita monthly compared to Avacyncaptad Peggle monthly, and this result was also statistically significant.
1: The next comparison is a little trickier. It's not quite apples to apples, to use your phrase. This is pegcetacoplan every other month versus Avacyncaptad Peggle monthly. Tell us what you found.
3: Well, the reason we did this was because peg C to every other month was tested in the clinical trials, and we thought it would be useful to see how less frequent dosing with peg C to might compare with more frequent monthly dosing with Avacyn-Capted Pegel. And what we found was that in each of the comparisons, Oaks versus Gather 2, Derby versus Gather 2, and combined Oaks and Derby versus Gather 2, we did not find a statistically significant difference between any of the comparisons. Although numerically they all favored pegsidicoplan, and what that suggests is equivalent efficacy between pegsidicoplan every other month versus Peg pegol monthly.
0: That's a lot of studies, it's a lot of data points.
3: What are the top takeaways that you would provide to your colleagues? A few. So first off, I think it's important for us to be aware of this MAIC approach as more therapies become available we're going to need methods to compare different uh, uh, drugs between different trials in the absence of head-to-head comparisons. Uh, From this study, we demonstrated that pegsidocoplan showed a better efficacy profile than avacyncaptid pegol among patients with non-subfoveal GA, specifically that we saw a greater reduction in GA lesion growth at month 12 with monthly pegsidocoplan compared to avacyncaptid pegol monthly, but even if we, if we compared less frequent dosing of pegs to with every other month, we saw equivalent or comparable efficacy with Avacyn-Captid-Pegol monthly.
0: Dr. Hahn, thank you so much for your hard work in this study, and thank you for joining us here in Seattle. My pleasure as always. Good to be here.
1: that concludes our asrs 2023 coverage on new retina radio if you missed our first episode go back in your feed and find it
0: and for continued coverage of all things retina be sure to rate review and subscribe on your favorite podcast app